Managing a business can be challenging, but what about one with locations in the Midwest and in New Hampshire? Today, we talk to a successful restaurateur who is deftly handling that juggling act and talk to her about what it takes to grow a successful business from concept to multiple locations and brands. Hello, I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business New Hampshire Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. So Nathan, we're coming up on one of my favorite times of the year. Oh, is it the mouthwatering time of the year? It is. It's Thanksgiving. Yes. You know, all I got to cook is a side dish and then get ready to just eat. Wait, who cooks the rest? Uh, well, the fam- my mom does the rest of it, and, okay. and you know my sister and I contribute. Um, we hosted, my wife and I have hosted for several years, and then the family kind of outgrew our space, so they oh. moved back to mom's, and I have to say I'm not too sad about that. I bet you're not. <laughs> yeah, a few less dishes in your house that night, huh? I know. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, Thanksgiving, too, it's one of my favorite conversations to have with people, because Everyone has that certain dish that has to be on the table for it to be Thanksgiving, right? And, you know, in my house, it is um, pork butt stuffing, which has one of the I'm worst sorry, names what? around. <laughs> I, I it, it's got an awful name. It looks awful. It's gray and mushy, but it's a mixture. Uh, you boil down um, pork butt down and, and then you mix them with mashed potatoes and lots of cream it is like a calorie bomb it is so good this is the reason that people lay on the couch after dinner oh yes right? we pass out because of this yeah. but the thing is about this dish is if you're born into the family mm-hmm. it must be in our blood we're just addicted to it mm-hmm. like like at thanksgiving christmas it's gotta be on there and we can't have enough of it if you are married into the family it's like please pass the processed bread stuffing now please give me the stovetop give me, they, give me the, it, the other nobody stuff. who is not born into our family wants to touch this stuff so wow. i think there's something fundamentally wrong uh, with this but that is like <laughs> the the thing that has to be on the table for us what about you well we just I, I, it, there's not necessarily something that's like you know got to be on the table but there's always that debate of like Well, the cranberry sauce debate, right? Do we get the canned cranberry sauce or do we get, you know, do we make our own, put a little orange zest in there, have a little fun with that? You know what we end up doing? Buying the canned and then like maybe buying a little bit of the other one or like maybe making a little bit of our own, but there's always the canned. It's like, you know what? Just bring, just get two of them and we'll bring them. And, but my favorite thing is, because I'm so particular and meticulous about things, I love to slice in between the little ridges. <laughs> it's disgusting. I know. It I know. It's a gourmand. Just, yeah, you know? right. So that's not exactly a family tradition. That's more like my strange nuances, but whatever. Um, you know, is what it is. Is what it is. Well, um, we have someone joining us today that knows exactly what needs to go on tables. Yeah, we could not leave our guest today out of the, the conversation. Um, so, Jalon Hall Johnson, um, before we do your big intro today, um, tell us about some family traditions around Thanksgiving. Ooh. Um, so we have started our own family Thanksgiving traditions or tradition where we actually go out. We, we typically pick a town um, and travel for Thanksgiving and eat at like a five-star restaurant. Oh, so zero dishes. Never mind Matt's yes, house with and it's a few been dishes. The, it's been amazing. And now that we're back 
around family and friends, they're like, oh, no, we've got to do Thanksgiving. And we're like, but who wants to do that? No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. But definitely um, growing up, I mean, you guys named like one dish. There's like 10 dishes that you have <laughs> to have for Thanksgiving in our family. Uh, mac and cheese, collard greens, uh, dressing. I mean, and it just keeps going. So, um yeah, that we're, I don't know. We're we're kind of all over the place with our traditions and Thanksgiving, but uh, that, that sounds fantastic. Beautiful. Oh my god. So, uh for our listeners, our guest today is Jalon Hall Johnson, founder and owner of the Sassy Biscuit Company and Juke Chicken Joint in Dover, New Hampshire. Welcome, Jalon. My mouth is indeed watering uh from all of this conversation so far. But let's start with the basics. Tell us about you and about these two restaurants, these two concepts that you've got going on in Dover. So the Sassy Biscuit Company came about um, when um, I was basically a single mother. Um, My husband was a drill instructor in San Diego at MCRD, and I had three kiddos that I had to feed all the time. Um, And so... I really wanted to cook something that they would eat. And so I would often cook breakfast. And I just, I, f- I found that breakfast, th- there was something missing in a lot of breakfast restaurants. And so uh, when I had the opportunity to um, come up with a concept and bring it to Montana, um, I, I decided brunch or breakfast would be it. And so um the Sassy Biscuit has now continued out to New Hampshire, and it's it's an elevated but approachable um, brunchery is what we call it. It is, um, you know, hip and trendy and something that you typically wouldn't find in a smaller city like Dover. Yeah. Um, but we are... Um, Super excited to be in New Hampshire, loving um, our new location, and um, yeah. Nice. And then Juke um, stemmed from Sassy, so we wanted to bring something to our guests who couldn't necessarily come, um, you know, during the workday. And so we came up with an evening concept, Juke a Chicken Joint, um, where we sort of transformed Sassy uh, into something a little bit more... Um, I guess, um, evening focused or, cool. um, yeah. And so Juke is, is scratch made just like sassy. Um, it features our chicken sandwiches, which everyone loves. And we just, we just put a spin on some really unique classics and, um, and just do our same amazing scratch made food. That's great. And I love the name sassy, uh, the sassy biscuit. I mean, it, it just captures your attention right away. Um, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about the concept. So, um, you know, had you always wanted to o- open your own restaurant? You know, how did that inspiration come about? And then how did you zero in on this concept and kind of describe the food that you you make? Yeah. So I, I would say it's probably everyone's dream um, when you go to culinary school to want to open a restaurant. So um, in, in particular me, because I like to set these unobtainable goals and see if how 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 how, oh, how much I can reach or the how big hairy yeah, audacious yeah. ideas yeah. right yeah yeah and so I've always in the back of my head thought it would be great to open a restaurant um and my husband and I would would frequent different restaurants and and look and say oh if we if we open a restaurant this is how we would do it or we wouldn't do it like that or look at this is what we don't like and so um so the concept 
came about, like I said, I feel like a lot of breakfast restaurants are really just kind of out of the box. A lot of them are using, you know, box made pancakes, frozen hash browns. And so um, when we originally moved to San Diego, um, I discovered that there was so much more to food and specifically the brunch um, area. And um, I loved everything about brunching in San Diego. And it just really opened my eyes to um, a variety of different things. But one thing that that breakfast could be good and it, it, yeah. And so um, I wanted to form a concept around one specific item. And so the biscuit became that, 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 um, item and we kind of ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so is it one particular kind of biscuit or do you make a variety of flavors? So we do quite a bit. Um, and it, and as the years have expanded, we, I have expanded the, um, I guess our repertoire of what kind of biscuits we make so we do you know a typical biscuit we do a gluten-free a vegan but then we put we've put a spin on it so like our waffles incorporate a biscuit technique our pancakes and now I've um so a lot of our marketing for juke is biscuits to buns so I've taken the biscuit recipe and made buns from them so they've got all that fat that you typically would get in a biscuit now in a bun so it's a, a really elevated sort of um, brioche type of bun, if you will. Um, and I don't even know, bakers, real bakers probably would disagree with me, but that's the only category I know to put wait in. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Real bakers? Real you bakers. went to culinary school. Yeah, Come but... Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then now, so like our brownies, we've now started doing brownies. So our brownies incorporate a biscuit technique. We we do, we're just starting, we're rolling out our cinnamon rolls that now incorporate this biscuit technique. So it's got like four main ingredients in it that we use in our biscuits that then now spill over into all these other items that just elevate it and make it amazing. Wow. I think I have to like move in next door or something. Because, <laughs> come on over. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I'll take the drive from northern New Hampshire and I'll come see her like every day in I the morning. I think we're going to have to. And then stay for, for juke, you know? There you go. No, I am here. So you're in San Diego and you're talking about the big brunch scene and, and, you know, that sounds, you know, like a natural fit. And then I come from an Air Force family. So I know it's like, you know, the orders come in and you're moving. And so you're from San Diego in San Diego and then you find yourself in Montana. Correct. And you want to open this brunch concept. And now I have not been to Montana, so I may be assuming things, but it doesn't naturally strike me as maybe brunch having a brunch scene yeah <laughs> so so what was that like to you know test the waters that way yeah. with this concept so one thing that i've always learned is do basically like bring where there's a need bring the product and so um that that has always been my focus and that's i think why we've ended up in billings montana and dover new hampshire because we really want to stick out we really want people to um i guess i'd rather be a a what is it a um small no it's a big fish in a small in a pond, pond. Yeah, yeah yeah there you go um and i think that was just me 
that's just my personality. I am a risk taker, but I want to do it in a calculated way so that I know I'm going to succeed. You know what they call that, don't you? What is that? An entrepreneur. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So that that was that was definitely part of my game plan to make sure that whatever I did, I did it extremely well, but I did it in a place where it would be super unexpected. Now, I mean, restaurants are notorious for high failure rates. And yet you are, you know, succeeding in balancing two locations that are geographically as far apart as you <laughs> probably want to get with, with it. Um, so can you talk about, you know, opening up first in Montana and what that was like and when you knew you had something? Um, I think that's a great question. I think... Um, I, I hate to say it, but I think I always knew that I would have something. I knew that the product that I would bring would be, I, I don't know, worth the wait, I guess. Did it take, uh, did you feel like the, did the restaurant take off right away? Did it take a little time to build up? You know, at what point did, did you realize like, oh, I'm getting the crowds that I need and, and this is working. The community is reacting to me. Yeah. So I think um, one thing about Billings is that it's so small and it's so um, word of mouth friendly. And so right away, I, when I, when I touched ground billings, I started building a network and then people started getting excited about what we were potentially going to bring to billings. And, um, I think right off the bat, you know, it was well received. There was a lot that people, the type of food, the type of restaurant we were was much different than most people had ever seen. Um, and so that took some getting used to, we did have to, um, I guess, teach our guests how to dine with us, um, but always really well received. And I think it has a lot to do with being, um, we had a lot of good media coverage, uh, being a black female veteran owned um, business in the middle of Montana, where there's basically no diversity. It was, it was, I think something that people really wanted to showcase come, you know, um, because we were so new and so different. And so it was really well received right away. That's awesome that they embraced you that way. That's so cool. Um, so you talked a little bit or mentioned a few times so far uh, about your husband and, and his military service. Um, you refer to him in, in something that I read as the muscle behind the idea. So what is his main focus in the business versus yours? Maybe knowing that he's uh, got a little a bit of a different uh, amount of time, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's his what's his focus versus yours? And do you guys play nice in the sandbox together? <laughs> um, well, so I'm the boss. Of course you and are. And that's in work and at home. Uh -huh. I'm just kidding. There it is. There it is. I, knew, I sensed the confidence kidding. from the moment she walked in. No, I think it's great. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, my husband is really, he's really my support system. So um, he, over the Montana has been open for the last, what, three and a half years now. So his role has really changed originally. You know, he was really my, he was really my support system. So he would come with me to um, pitch to banks or he would come to, with me um, to different, just different meetings. And, um, but now he's really stepped back and he just, he is really just my sounding board. He'll come and do training or he'll, um, He'll he'll help out in any way if I need some maintenance or you know something I can't do on my own. 
Um, but he really is my my support system. He'll um, he'll just help. Like he'll throw out some ideas. He'll work on um, like if he makes something at home, he might say, "Hey, you might want to include this on your menu." So he also went to culinary school. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and so again, he he is probably. Um, more in the background more than ever um, especially now with his new position but um, yeah he's just he's my muscle um, in support really at this point that's awesome everybody every every good entrepreneur needs that so right right Um, tell us a little bit about the um, the meaning of of juke a chicken joint yes so juke um is and a lot of people refer to it as juke, but it's juke. So it's it it is um it is the same word as J U K E. So mm-hmm. juke like a jukebox or a juke joint. Um, and so we it is the Gullah Geechee um spelling of juke, and we purposely did that so um that it again related back to our culture, um. We wanted to definitely bring some um, of our, I guess, uh, history um, into the restaurant, especially being in some of these more northern um, cities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so juke is the Gullah Geechee word for juke, Uh J-U-K-E. And um, juke joints were a place back in the day where black people were one of the only places that black people could go to um, hang out. So mm-hmm. they would, um, they would gamble, dance, sing, um, you know, just drink. And so we really wanted to represent that in our evening, our evening concept, um, or our alter ego to sassy <laughs> where, um, you know, it, it was an enjoyable time for people to come out and, and have just great food and great fun. A safe place where you could be yourself. Yes. And so, you know, I, I want to talk to you too about, so um, opening a second location is always a big deal for a business and a restaurant. Um, usually geographically, they tend to be a little closer. So, you know, I, I'd love to hear about why the for your next location, you ch- did choose Dover, New Hampshire, and, and Dover is a great city. Um, I live in Rochester, not too far away. Um, but, um, you know, you were talking about, you know, in, in Billings, you know, it's a community that where it's not known for diversity. And then you come to New Hampshire, also not a community, you yes, know, a, a yes. state known for its diversity. Yes. Can you talk about what played into your decision to, to, to uh, open here? Yes, absolutely. Um, so originally we were pro- approached by a guest in Billings, Montana, Ronnie Peekins, who um, was visiting her son in Montana and, and um, fell in love with our food and said, hey, you should come consider coming out to um, New Hampshire. And um, we had been approached a few times by other people to possibly open a second location. But there was something about Ronnie that um, just made you want to say yes. And so we, my team and I took a, um, a trip out here, a week-long trip where Ronnie, um, Warren Daniels, the uh, the SBDC director just kind of took us around and showed us New Hampshire and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and we specifically chose Dover because, again, we wanted to be a big fit. No, is it 
I wanted to be, a, yeah, a big fish. <laughs> we'll get a it. Big small, fish in a small pond, there we right? Go. Um, and so um, we didn't want to be in Portsmouth. We wanted to be part of a community that was growing and up and coming. And so that was exactly what Dover was. Um, and the uh, the other part of it is that um, oftentimes, um, you know, the black culture is not necessarily looked at in a positive way. And so I have strategically tried to place my restaurants in places where you don't necessarily have a lot of exposure to to the black culture. And so when you walk in the restaurant, there's so much culture and there's so much of who I am in the restaurant. And I just really want people to embrace and understand and, and I guess become part of who I am. And, awesome. and and has it been embraced? And and mm-hmm. how how have you found the reception in 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 the community? Um, I think it for the for the majority of it, it's been well received. Um, we have had some some negative um, comments and interactions with some guests. Um, you know, sometimes people don't like to see that we're a black owned business. They feel like we don't need to announce that to the world. Um, you know. I think everyone has their opinion um, and it is what it is, but we are who we are. That's not going to change. And so, and you're proud of it. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And I think um, when I moved to Montana, that was the moment I became proud to be black, Um, which is is strange because, (laughs) because we had not been, we had been around exposed to so much diversity in the military and then moving to Montana where there was absolutely no diversity and be, basically being everyone's um, first black um, encounter or, you know, close encounter for the friends that I made or um, the business partner or business um, interactions that I had. Um, it just made me want to shout out, I'm black and I'm proud, I guess, and really show people that it's, it's this is who we are and it's okay to be who you are. So. And there's so much awesome stuff. Yeah. associated with being who you are and yes, being, and, yes. uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I love it. I love that there is, uh, you know, I would say no other culture that's so heavily around food and family and, and, you know, these experiences. So it's, it's so awesome that you are now sharing that with us. Um, a little bit ago, you mentioned your team, you know, that had traveled out there. Um, and I read very recently that a chef at Sassy Biscuit was just awarded the Chef of the Year by the New Hampshire Lodging and Restaurant Association, um, which I think is a big deal. Um, do you want to tell us about that individual and then maybe about some of the the other members of your team? Yes. So Brittany Le- Leah um, is now our director of operations. She came in um at the beginning of Sassy, New Hampshire, right a few weeks, I think, after we opened and started out as line cooked um, and really just helped build the company and transform it into um, what it is today. And, and, you know, being in the midst of COVID, it wasn't an easy situation to walk into. And so she um, has just been a tremendous um part of our team and I just absolutely adore her and am grateful to have her um as part of the company and so um 
part one thing that people ask me all the time is how do you how do you run a restaurant that's you know one's in Montana one's in New Hampshire and it's really because I have a good team and I I I mean even if I was there every single day I could not do sassy or juke by myself and so it's really having the the staff that we do who really believe in the concept who understand what we're trying to provide to the community and support who we are as a company. And so, you know, I, I want to talk about running a business in a pandemic. I mean, it's tough enough as it is, but you are opening a new location um, and trying to balance that with keeping afloat the current location. Can you talk about w- even despite those huge challenges, why you decided to move forward with the project and how you were able to pivot and keep keep things going in Montana while moving things forward in New Hampshire? Um, a lot of prayer. You know, it wasn't easy. Um, it, I mean, I think the pandemic was probably one of the most difficult things I've experienced in my life. Um, it has definitely been a challenge. Um, but I'm the kind of person who I don't give up until you like, there's just, there's nothing left. And so, um, we just keep pushing, um, and keep trying new things and, and figuring out how do we survive this? Um, and I think it's, it, it's been definitely been a challenge, but it's been, a le- very good learning experience because if you can make it through this, <laughs> I mean, the, the, that then. just, I mean, those are world of possibilities in, in the future for us. So um, I'm excited to, to hopefully be moving past the, the um, bulk of the pandemic and hopefully um, just kind of leveling out in a way. Um, but yeah, definitely you, we had to take on more hats as a business owner, you have to wear multiple hats anyways, but during the pandemic, there nobody was working or, you know, you couldn't get anyone to do anything really. And so you just had to learn how to do um, and be everything and anything that you could to keep your business to um, surviving. Yeah. yeah. And I would probably venture to guess that because of your passion and your calculated way of being strategic and doing things, that that is... Um, that is also a piece of, you know, what got you through. And, uh, and this is, yeah, this is such a cool, a cool story. You know, it's, there's so much on the, on the face of you, maybe you walk by a restaurant you're like, Oh, it's a restaurant. They serve this kind of food. But to your point from earlier, you know, it's, it's telling your story. It's, it's immersing others in your experiences, in your culture. And that is, um, that's a brand. That's not just a restaurant. That's a brand. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah. So on the entrepreneurial journey you've been on so far, what have been the biggest lessons that you've taken away from this? Anything that surprised you that you learned either about yourself or the business or major challenges that you were able to overcome? Oh, I mean, I think every day is a learning experience. And if I think if as a business owner, you go in with the mindset that you're the boss and you know everything and everything you say goes, you're not going to succeed. I have had, I, I've learned that my job as a business owner is to rely on others and that's it. So I build a team. I have a marketing team. I have a social media team. I have, um, an accounting 
you know, like I, there's nothing, I, I can't do any of this myself. And so I, I build a team that runs my business. Um, and I learn through them. I, I, I'm always asking questions. I'm always trying to figure out, um, and invite people in because that's how, that's how, that's how you become, you know, um, that's, that's how you build a brand by, um, learning and growing through others. Um, and I think that's just how you, you learn through life as well. And I think that's part of what has made me who I am is because I've been able to learn and grow through being a military spouse and being exposed to so much traveling all the time and, and, um, learning of new cultures and, and just, um, you know, again, being able to adapt and overcome. So there's, there's a lot, um, that I think, it, I think it takes a lot to be an entrepreneur, but the biggest, the biggest um, lesson I've learned is to to rely on others and to to bring people other people in. Part of the buzzwords that has come out during the pandemic is self care. Mm. But tell me, you're an entrepreneur running two locations vastly apart. You've got employees there dependent on you. You have a family that's dependent on you. How do you take care of yourself amid all of that? Hmm, that's a great question. I actually feel that the pandemic allowed me to do that more so than ever before. Really? Yes. Um, because of the amount of stress, because of because every day something was going wrong or, you know, you were losing an employee or something was breaking or you didn't get the sales you needed or, I mean, there is everything, everything went wrong during the pandemic. It, it made you stop and think, okay, I cannot control everything. I cannot, you know, I can only handle what I can handle. And so sometimes it's okay to just step back and let, and, and, pray that everything works out and let everything, you know, and just let it happen um, and do your best to, um, I, I guess, do your best to just um, keep it going. And so that has, that is one thing that I have learned is to stop and to just let go and to um, just go with the flow. I think we all need to learn. Yeah, to do that just go more. with the flow, Matt. Would you please? <laughs> um, that's it's amazing, and, and and you're right. And sometimes, um, you know, giving up a little control or, or letting go a little bit is actually gives you even more control of the things that matter. Absolutely. Um, so good for you. Um, this this story is awesome. You are awesome. I'm sure the food is awesome, and soon I, I will know because there's going to be a trip in the future. Oh, um, I'm holding you. I'm holding you to that. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> Put a picture up and say, have you seen this guy? Yeah, right. And if you do, make sure he's eating something. Um, you are great. And I will be there and I will bring Matt with me because it's, you know, then it's a business trip, right? Um, there you go. Jalon Hall Johnson is founder and owner of Sassy and Juke. We'll call him that. We'll shorten him. Sassy and Juke in Dover, New Hampshire. Thank you so much for joining us, having a little fun with us, and um, and chatting, family yes, and food yes. and, and passion. Yes, thanks, thanks again. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks okay. for sharing your story. Thank you. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. Let's talk about what businesses are buzzing about this week. So, 
overworked and underpaid. I think we're all feeling that maybe a little bit lately. What do you think, Nathan? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm hearing it, seeing it. Um, burnout is real, someone said to me the other day. And I said, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's true. Employees nowadays, they're stressed by the extra work, less support, higher expectations, fewer tools, and just the added stress of a pandemic now. Well, there is a new book out by Jennifer Moss that you might want to check out. Uh, it's called The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. And uh, it's a costly problem, according to Jennifer, that worldwide almost $1 trillion in product- productivity is being lost each year to job burnout. And 120,000 people die from the physical effects of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not only costing businesses big bucks, it's literally costing people their lives. Death sentence. So the good news, though, according to Jennifer, okay. is that it's fixable. So these are some of the recommendations in her book that, about combating burnout. And one is to let employees, quote, craft their roles in the company. Hmm. Uh, so, and that avoids their perceived lack of control. And let's face it, nowadays, we're all feeling a lack of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to know that uh, an inexpensive cursory reward is actually worse than a lack of reward recognition. So, <laughs> the cheap pencil sharpener versus the engraved beautiful. No, I don't know. Yeah. Here's your $5 gift card. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a little more insulting than just nothing <laughs> at all. What am I going to get with $5? Exactly. So you got to be careful with that. You know, good intentions, <laughs> poor execution. Uh-huh. Uh, discourage poor relationships between coworkers, uh, even when the workplace is virtual. So, you know, you got to try harder. Everyone getting along. You got to eliminate any lack of fairness and reward only the people who genuinely deserve it. And be sure, she says, that there's no values mismatch when hiring new employees. So I think that's all good tips. And uh, there's much more to delve into uh, in this new book. So what was the name of the book again? So that, again, is The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. Boy. (laughs) I think that's something we may all need to know. Yeah, let's read it. And that's The Buzz. Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll for the last segment in our four-part series focused on foundations of building a business. A lot goes into building a business, a successful business. But if the foundation is solid, your chances are exponentially better. This week, we're filing paperwork to own our business. It's okay not to have all your ducks in a row, and it's okay that you're not ready to have products fly off the shelves or offer your services right away. This series is about foundations, strong foundations. In New Hampshire, head back to the Secretary of State's website and create a quick start account. With everything you've learned from that qualified legal and accounting team, yes, they're part of your team now, file the name and the type of business. The process is relatively simple and will cost you a couple of hundred dollars maybe. Now that you've filed your entity, you should be thinking about Drafting an operating agreement, obtaining your federal employer ID number from the IRS, opening a separate business bank account, and investing your own money in your business. I've made this whole process sound pretty easy, 
in this four-part series, and let me be the first to say that it is not. (laughs) It requires a lot of work, a lot of thought, a lot of time, and up until this point, a small amount of money. That's it for today, but certainly not the last piece about building a business. Thanks for joining me in the neatly organized Cardinal Corner. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social, at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.